Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you also come for the sass of Miss Tina and you stay for the principles. Miss Tina, are you ready for Christmas? Do you know what? I was in my bedroom last night for about... Five hours wrapping presents, and Heather will understand this, I'm sure, as a mom. It is a lot of work. And then when I came out, my husband said, are you done? And I said, nope. You know, actually, our Young Women's Service Project this year was they had to wrap the presents. (laughs) It is a lot of work, Jonathan, to be a mom at Christmas. Do you want to know how many presents I wrapped this year? Zero. If count carry the one, carry the two, add the move on the decimal point. Yeah, zero. Yeah. Have you thought I'm, about I'm gift bags? Gift bags are great. Oh, gift gift bags are awesome. The, I'm all about the gift bags. I'm a guy. Come on. You know, I'm not going to go, oh, you got to wrap the present. You got to put it here. And you got to put a little bow in it. No, I'm just going to give you the present. I'm just too impatient for wrapping, you know, all the measuring and the. I get really frustrated. And I'm just like, where's my gift bags? Yeah. It's pointless. But we're here today to talk about some gifts. And we've been talking about gifts of Christmas for the last month. And today we're going to talk about the gift of life. And I want to just start today's show by introducing our guest. I'm going to try and say her name right because it really annoys her when I say it wrong. It's Heather, right? Heather, 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 Heather. That's incorrect, Irishman. No, it's Miss Heather Hobbs. And she is a pro-life speaker. This is one of the things, because apparently, you know, anyone who listens to this show for any period of time knows, I say every word perfect. My diction is flawless. It's not like I confuse tree and tree, like a tree that grows out of the ground and the number tree, or Heather and Heather. It's just the way it ro- rolls. Everyone loves mocking me. And so I said I'd say her name correctly, because we are here to talk about the gift of life. And whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, the understanding of Christmas is that a Savior is born, and that Savior changed the world. Well, one of the stories we read as Christians when we read the Bible, and this is not going to be really a Christian show, this is going to be talking about the focus of life, but one of the stories that you had is the king 
the person in charge. Think of, I don't know, a president who thinks he's all powerful and all knowing. I don't know why Americans would ever, you know, relate to that or could even visualize that because it would never happen in this wonderful country. But you have this king who's all powerful and is fearful of the quote unquote savior. And he issues, I don't know, let's use the language of the day, an executive order that says we must kill all babies under the age of two. That is what happened. And we study this story a lot as Christians. We study in the build-up. And every time we read it, we always read it as, well, this is a bad thing, and we should never let this happen again. And my God, aren't we so great as Christians and as a world that we have advanced so far that we would never have another Herod? Well, here are the facts. Hundreds of thousands of babies are aborted every year in America. Countless of kids lose their lives when they're told oh, your pregnancy is not worth it, or your pregnancy is not viable. Or if you've been listening to the abortion cases lately, you'll hear, well, what about the case of rape and incest? When I was up in Michigan, the person running for governor, Miss Tudor Dixon, she said uh, abortion in no circumstances. She was very firm on that, and they ran all these ads. Well, what about in, in incest, or what about a 14-year-old child getting raped? Well, today I wanted to bring you the gift of life, because every life, Black, white, Hispanic, gay, straight, young or old, has value, has purpose. And Heather has a story that you need to hear. Heather, why don't you tell us the start of your story, of your life, of what it was like being a teenager? You want to go all the way back to the teen years, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Well, Jonathan, you know me very well. We're very close friends. I was raised in a very liberal, leftist witchcraft type household. And so I was raised to support abortion. I was raised to support gay rights and and trans whatever and letting people just basically do whatever they want without any boundaries or rules. And that if you had at all any kind of thought process on that other person, then you're judgmental, condemning and hateful. And I was also taught to not like Christians and that they're all condemning and hateful and mean. So I definitely have shifted gears a tiny bit, as you know. Just a smidgen. Just a smidgen. <laughs> I may I may know that we have a republic now instead of a democracy. There's that. I learned something hey. along the way. <laughs> but as you know, I I was raised in a somewhat abusive home and it was chaotic and we moved a lot. It was a lot of lack of stability. And I wanted to just escape. I had decided when I become an adult, I am going to see the world. I'm going to choose my own destiny. I'm going to live the American dream and somehow ended up in Germany instead of America. But that's neither here nor there. First thing I learned was eine Bier bitte. Right? What's that? One beer, please. (laughs) My husband and I went to Switzerland to the German part, and we learned mein Auto es kaputt. Your car's broken. <laughs> yes, sir. That's really important to know. <laughs> okay, so just so we, we're setting this up, which is more important to learn, America? You, you'd make that decision between <laughs> one beer, please, and my car is broken. <laughs> what if it happens at the same time? There you go. My car is broken. One beer, please. <laughs> or I had one beer, please. Oh, no, the car is broken. <laughs> Heather, can I ask? I am curious. 
when you mentioned about witchcraft, what does that mean exactly? So my mom uh, taught us to do spells. She took us to spiritual festivals. We bought crystals. She taught me tarot cards, astrology, that kind of stuff. Okay. Your face, your face was great right there. That. <laughs> well, when you think of witchcraft, it can go in so many different directions. I didn't know how broad that was. I, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Do you remember the Miss Cleo hotline? The yes, Miss Cleo calling me now. My mom worked for that. <laughs> okay. I know. So I know, right? Before we get to the life part and the real re reaffirming, we got to open, since Miss, Miss Tina decided to open this wormhole, I do got to ask, have you ever put a spell on anyone? Me or Tina? You. Oh, my mom had me do spells with her uh, as a child to put spells on people, yes. What type of spells? Well, there's only one spell of negativity uh, that was towards her sister-in-law. <laughs> okay. I, I don't recall what that one was. What I do recall was there was a money spell, and then suddenly we had $10,000. And then all of that money went towards bad stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, Is there any ethics to spells? Like, can you, like, can you. Like, cause you know, well, some the, people, some people consider themselves good witches. Some people consider, you know, it's, it's really freaking weird, you know, she'd be taking us to the, the metaphysical shops and she's like trying to hold the crystals and feel which one, which one is the right one? Which one am I drawn to? Which one has spiritual powers? And I'm like, mom, just pick the rock and let's go, you know? <laughs> So uh, I was no. raised in this, but it, most other people in my family were atheists. So you kind of had like the, we're super spiritual and feeling the earth and the powers. And then you had the, there's nothing out there. So that's kind of the demographic of which I was raised. Crystal shopping yes. is no fun. Real quick. I have to tell you, if you ask my husband, he's been under my spell for 25 years. Oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. She's a good witch. Yes, Miss Tina. Yeah, Miss well, Tina has sass, but she's also a good witch. I was born in Kansas, so I, I mean, I could be a good witch or a bad witch. We don't know as long as I don't get sucked up in a tornado. I think you're very much a good witch. So we, I, I know you well enough to say that. So you're going to Germany. What brings you to Germany? Well, I uh, met a guy and I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> it was one of those really bad, I'm 18 years old and stupid decisions. But at the same time, I am under the belief that it's all a part of our path and our journey, right? So even though it may seem like a bad decision in the moment, every trial is truly a blessing that's meant to build you up and make you stronger. So going there... I was dating this guy and ended up finding out that he was, when I got there, sleeping with like 10 other German women. And I was like, ooh, gross, German STDs. I don't want none of that business. <laughs> so I was, I ended things. And that led to a violent situation that put me in the hospital. And so I spent a few months trying to get back to America, but I was struggling to get back to America. And ended up he came back uh so the actual event where 
you know, there was the cheating was that was November 2007. And then he showed up Valentine's Day 2008. And at that point, I was raped and tortured for three days. And I tried to follow the processes to get him arrested. I tried to get back to America. But this was also a very deeply dark time for me because as I was raised in the home that I was in and then going out into the world as an adult, I wanted to be able to make my own destiny, right? And I felt like there's nothing out in this world except for bad, dark things. There's nothing out there but bad people because now it had been proven. I got away from my family. I got away from the world I grew up in. And here I am in a totally different country and there's still bad people. And so I had this really dark view of the world while somewhat trying to advocate for myself and follow the processes, but I wasn't getting anywhere, getting him in trouble. I really fell into a really dark place and I felt like I was just ready to be done with the world. I felt spiritually attacked, even though I didn't really believe in anything spiritually at that point. I just felt like a darkness all over me. And God had a plan for me. Now, again, I know that this isn't specifically a Christian-focused show, but for me, I believe God had a plan for me because I got rubella in the midst of all this, which is German measles, and I was so sick that I got distracted from thinking about suicide. Just totally focused on, I feel like I'm really sick and dying. And then it lasted for a long time. And then I started getting nauseous and throwing up. So I thought it was all a part of one sickness. So I was able to get my way into a German village, get onto a bus, have them get me to the hospital. I get to the hospital and it's the same German ER doctor that I had before with the abusive incident that occurred months later. And he runs all these tests. He tells me that I'm recovering for rubella. And he also says that I'm pregnant. And at that moment, I had completely blocked out being raped to the point that I said, that doesn't make sense. I can't be pregnant. I haven't had sex with anyone. And so he had to be the one to remind me that not only had there been a sexual encounter, but that I was in fact pregnant. And then also he said, I don't believe in abortion in most cases, but we can give you an abortion tomorrow because I do believe it in this situation. And so that was my first big experience of having to personally deal with abortion because I've had friends that have had abortions. Planned Parenthood was in my high school. They taught our sexual education. But for me, I've never had to consider it before myself. So I had to pause instead of just jumping right into it. And I said, this is, this is all a lot of information. I need to process it. And as you know, I tried to continually convince myself because I said, I don't want to have the baby of a rapist. I don't want to have a monster. I, I tried to convince myself of all the things that the world and society had taught me are the logical arguments for somebody in that situation, especially at my age. I mean, at this point, I had, I had turned 19 in that time period, but I was still very young. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to learn how to be a grown up. And I kept telling myself all of the lies over and over and over again, but I couldn't get myself to do it. And maybe that's how, because I have, you know, a big soft spot for animals and babies and little critters, but I couldn't ever convince myself that that wasn't a baby. And so that's the first chunk of the story. There you go. You're making faces at me. I'm just listening and, and going through the story again. So 
what was the big turning point that made you not do it? Because as you said, you know, you come from this background, you're, you know, from a leftist family, um, you know, you plan parenthood in your school, you're 19 years of age, you're in a foreign country, you've gone through this horrific ordeal. You know, anyone who's pro-life, and I include myself in this, would look at that and kind of go, if you had gotten an abortion, and thank God you didn't, um, but if you had, it's like no one, no one would judge you shall we say um and it would have been so easy to 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 go down that path what was your turning point that said no i'm not going to do this and not only am i not going to do this but I, i'm i'm gonna you know bring the pregnancy to term and i'm gonna love this child i was very undecided for actually quite some time for several weeks uh, but the man showed up again when he found out i was pregnant and tried to end her life by force and it was in the moment that I thought I was going to die and I was looking at the ceiling. It was the first time I actually prayed to God himself. And I said, God, if you save me and my baby, I'll try to find you. And that was my first deal with God in my entire lifetime. And it wasn't until she was actually about to die or I felt like she was about to die because of this occurrence that I didn't want her to die. And I know that sounds kind of selfish and, and perhaps cruel, but up until then, I was just trying to convince myself to end the pregnancy. And it wasn't until she was faced with death that I knew that I couldn't let her die. And I remember waking up thinking, oh my gosh, is she still here or is the baby still here? Because I didn't know her gender then. But I remember praying again after I woke up and thinking, okay, is the baby alive? You know, did God hear me? Is he real? Did what happened really happen? I was filled with all these different moments and I felt a stirring within my womb, as cheesy as that sounds, where I felt like that was my confirmation that she's still alive. And at that point, I made the decision. That was my turning point. I'm going to try to find God and I'm going to protect this baby with everything I have and I don't care what it takes and I have to get out of this country. And that was my turning point. So how long does it take you to get out of Germany? Well, I ended up having her in Germany, which lengthened the process. The reason being is getting out of the country and dealing with the legal stuff was becoming very complicated. And then once she was born, I had to wait for her citizenship and passport papers. So I got out of there in May 2009, I believe, which is I got there October 24, 2007. So I was there for a decent amount of time. You had rubella while you were pregnant with her. Yes. Was that a concern? I was not even thinking of that at the time. Honestly, I've never been so sick in my life. And I got the full, you know, my mom got all of my shots growing up. So I was vaccinated for rubella. But the German doctor said it's not uncommon for Americans to get one of the German strains when they're there. It doesn't it was, do anything uh, to the baby. Well, she turned out to be a brilliant, sweet little angel. So it's it's one of those things that anybody can be given a diagnosis. The world is what tells us we're broken, but God gives us all of our medical issues, whether they're a trial or not, they're for a purpose. 
as you know, I told you I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is considered a genetic defect. However, I consider it a superpower because it's almost impossible for me to break a bone. Makes me hyper-flexible. I can do jujitsu and get out of any move. They can't make me tap. So it turns out to work in my favor. There is a risk of sprains, but I'd rather sprain an ankle than, you know, break a bone. Jiu-jitsu instructors around the country can't make me tap. That's pretty cool. There's a guy in me that's saying, I can make you tap. <laughs> so I'm sorry. It's just there's not competitive in the streak of me. I'll make you tap. And then there's the other part because you don't hit women. You don't hit women. You don't do things to women. No, 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 no. You don't do that. That's 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 jujitsu is very similar to like wrestling, you know. It's mm -hmm. it's more of wrestling around. There's there's not a lot of hitting yeah. involved. Well, you know, we'll see. So, but yeah, so you get out of Germany. What part of a country did you, you're back in America, the land Nebraska. of the free, the home of the brace, the <laughs> Nebraska. What brings you to Nebraska? Well, that's where I went to middle school and high school. So that's okay. kind of where a lot of my friends were and a lot of what I knew. Um, but yeah, I went to Nebraska. Could have went to a lot of cool places. And it, again, there, there was a whole nother process there because uh, in most states, rapists retain paternal rights or, you know, if there's a female rapist, um, but they retain parental rights in most states, even, even if the rape is proven, even if there's a lot of evidence. So that's actually something I work with an organization called Save the One, and there are no exceptions pro-life organization. Rebecca Kiesling is a child from rape who was spared because she was born before Roe v. Wade passed. And now she's a, a lawyer in Michigan, and she goes around the country speaking. She's an amazing woman. And her and I have worked hard to start passing throughout different states the Rape Child Survivor Custody Act. And I believe Ohio was the first one to pass it. But that simply says that if there's a convicted rape or a probable cause, because as you know, rape is extremely difficult to convict. They can simply say, you know, she liked it rough or that uh, she consented. It could be a his word against, you know, hers. It's very, very difficult to convict rape. So we do strive for legislation that sh if you have, you know, photos and, and medical tests and you present that to a judge, even if there's a conviction, that they can still strip those paternal rights. However, some states don't do that. But either way, rapists should never be able to gain parental rights to their biological child. But in many states, they do, especially if they go to jail or end up getting a job and a judge orders child support or any of those things. Uh, a lot of times, for example, we had a mom in Michigan, she was 19 years old, she applied for food stamps and Medicaid. And when in a lot of states, if you do that, then you have to name the father of your child. And at that point, they go after him for child support. So that's where a lot of rapists end up trying to gain the rights to the biological child is to avoid child support or to retain some sort of control over their victim. And most often rapists are so it's somebody, you know, and had some form of a relationship with rather than what we think of, which is a dark alley, somebody you don't know, and it's an attack. That's usually not the case with rape. So there's usually that sense of control they're trying to gain as well. And that's why the Rape Child Survivor Custody Act is so important to pass in every state to make sure that no state is giving that kind of access to a rapist. You have the baby, you come home. Is everything okay? Baby healthy? 
Oh yeah. Healthy, perfect angel. I always make a joke that God blessed me with a girl first because he knew I couldn't handle sons without a father (laughs) because those, those, those boys were a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot more energy, but she was a perfect angel. Um, I actually took her to the doctor because she would never cry and she just was always smiling and always happy. So she was perfect. I was happy. I I felt like I started to get pieces back of me and motherhood was such a joy instantly. It was, you know, I loved breastfeeding her. I loved those experiences with her. Heather, how much does your daughter know about the way she was conceived? And has that impacted her in a negative way at all? Surprise, she does know, actually. It was one of those things when I was younger, I thought, you know what, I'm going to tell her whenever you know, she's a young woman and strong and knows herself and has a lot of confidence. And I've built her up and all of my children to be very confident in themselves. However, somebody else told her when she was eight years old. And I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit took over me then because (laughs) I was, I was so upset, but I sat her down to have a talk with her about it. I really didn't know what I was going to say. I I said a prayer before saying, please guide me. I have no idea how to handle this. And she was just overcome with peace and a maturity and a wisdom about her that I cannot explain other than that's just her. And she said, it doesn't matter how I got here because dad was always meant to be my dad, my, my husband who has legally adopted her. And that was God's plan. The way I got here doesn't matter. And that was her answer. And I was, I got emotional, of course, because I was like, my little girl is so wise. (laughs) And she, she has been, I mean, you can ask Jonathan, he's met her. She is a sweetheart. She doesn't have a mean bone in her body and she's beautiful and very kind to everybody. I, I couldn't be more blessed with, I mean, she's an amazing daughter and she's 14 years old now. She only has one flaw. She has a, a very fatal weakness of the English accent. Being a what? Of the English accent. She's a fatal <laughs> attraction to the English accent. She does. She she finds British accents cute. <laughs> yes, that's not that's not cool. That's not cool at all. As someone who has an amazingly wonderful accent, I I take umbrage at the fact that anyone would find any other accent apart from mine awesome. The English accent. <laughs> yeah, and especially the English one. After everything we fought, we fought a war over this. So you know, you know what I told my daughter? I said, "You can be a- attracted to the English, but I'll still throw their tea in the ocean." <laughs> <laughs> Heather, what kind of trauma did you, well, I shouldn't say trauma, but have you suffered from PTS because of growing up, because of the rape, because of the violence? Well, now, I mean, I've got it, I've got it a lot more under control. I, I do a ton of work with uh, rape survivors, human trafficking survivors, and women of domestic violence history. 
And they always ask when it gets better. And I always express to them, it's not going to get better until you work on you. You have to identify what are my triggers? What are things that cause me stress or anxiety? What are things that are going to cause nightmares? How can I maintain these things? Your diet, that all of those things. I told you earlier pre-show that I, I do a lot of weird special food things. And it's all because of how it makes me feel. Mental health you know, in America is really stigmatized, sadly. And that was one thing I did like about Germany. They just looked at mental health care as it's your brain. It's a part of your body. There's no stigma there. But here in America, it's like you're going to the crazy doctor if you see a counselor or those types of things. So I did go through counseling. Um, but ultimately, I found most of my healing came from helping other people and trying to help them work through it. And the further I got from it, the better it got. And so as we go on through the story, there's more big life changes that have happened that were very difficult that can, I have to be very cautious to make sure it doesn't make things reemerge. But for the most part, again, I really believe in Jesus Christ and I, I believe in his healing powers of me. And a lot of that came with every one of the children that I've had since. Every child I've had has given me something more. And by the way, I never thought I would be a baby factory. <laughs> I, growing up, I did not plan to even have any kids. I didn't want kids because I felt like the world was too wicked of a place to bring more people here. But now I look at it so differently. I see that we need more righteous people to raise more righteous children. We need more patriotic Americans to raise good people. Because if we're believing the lies that we're told that are really related to population control and a lot of this one world order stuff, then we are we are falling for Satan's plan. And I, I truly believe that. How does your PTS manifest itself? And can you feel it coming? I've been able to really get to know my body and I can feel it coming. But it used to be to the point of if I went to the grocery store on a weekend, I would have to walk out because for me, it's too many people meant too many variables. And now because I was a mother, I felt an, a very overprotective nature towards my child. And I never wanted anything bad to happen to her, which we know is impossible. But I didn't want anything bad to happen to her. And so there was a period for the first few years where I couldn't go to busy restaurants. I couldn't go to concerts. I couldn't do those things. And then I had to slowly work through putting myself in mildly similar situations, like maybe going to dinner on a Thursday and being in a slightly busy restaurant. And I had to push myself while also not getting to the point of being overwhelmed. So it took a lot of self-assessment and a lot of self-identifying and also seeing what kinds of like sugary foods, they're really bad for your mental health and your, your brain balance. So I got away from sugars, you know, then it went to just being outside and in nature, hiking, fishing, those things are really therapeutic for the body and soul, learning about new skills and things, you know, I was raised in kind of an anti-gun family. So now I love shooting. You can ask Jonathan, I'll send him pictures of me shooting all the time and going and catching fish. Those things are just good things to do to positively build yourself up. So I have a very diverse skill set that's kind of all over the place. I don't say that braggingly, but it's because I've taken interest in so many things to help me heal. There's just a lot of different things that I've done. And that's what I tell these other women and survivors, because there's men, of course, too. 
that you have to every single day, how can I improve myself? And so every morning I wake up, even if it's a small thing, like I want to be better at folding my laundry instead of letting it sit in the basket. That is a way you can try to self-improve. And that makes you feel good about yourself. And it's a positive way of dealing with trauma rather than allowing that person who victimized you keep you a victim. If you continually allow yourself to stay stuck in that state, you're staying there victim. And because I don't like to be controlled, I wasn't willing to let someone else have that power over me. Heather, let's continue your journey. You're in America. You're a single mom. What is that like? That has to be difficult being a single mom. And then when is it that you meet your husband? I had a very awesome situation because I initially got a job uh, doing retail management, but I couldn't stand being away from my child. And I was always worried about her. So I was really blessed that in Omaha, there's Offutt Air Force Base. And it's a huge, huge air base. There's lots of different branches there. It's Stratcom. And I found a job as a nanny with one of the pilots who flew uh, Obama around, because I'm sure that was a pleasure. And (laughs) I also had the wife, she was a pharmacist at Walgreens, and they had one child who was one month difference in age from mine. So I was very blessed that I was able to have this really well-paying job that they paid for the zoo pass, they paid for a children's museum pass, the pumpkin patch, you know, I lived close by to them. And they wanted to spend as much time with their son as possible. So I was paid salary. And that meant some days I worked two days a week, some days it was five. But I was with my daughter 24 seven with another child. And we basically just played all the time and had fun. So I was very, very blessed, which I know is not most single mother situation. It was, you know, difficult because you have to try to figure things out on your own. But my daughter was just so well behaved. I really didn't have to do a a lot other than just play with her, feed her, keep her fed and spoil her rotten. And I ended up, as I was trying to strip the parental rights legally, which was quite a lengthy process, very expensive. That was probably the most difficult part as a single mom was trying to find those legal funds because those were so much. And I finally ended up getting myself, I moved to Oregon. And when I got to Oregon is when I got baptized. And I then had met my husband who he had just finished serving a mission in Brazil. And we just talked a lot about God and Jesus. And, you know, he was really playful with her and she liked him. And it was a whole new world of going to church every Sunday and getting used to the different cultural difference of how how I was raised and actually having a sense of community 
I had never had that before. So that was very scary for me was having the sense of community and recognizing that there are good people out there. There are people who want to serve others. There are people who bring you dinner and don't have any motives or want to be able to do something nice without any other agenda. There's good people out there. And that was a new world for me. And that was really scary. I definitely felt the urge to push people away in the beginning because accepting that there could be hope of a better life and better people. That was the hardest thing, I think, is being raised in trauma and switching over. And so now when I work with people who are trying to find that light for themselves and find those changes in their world, I let them know it's okay to be scared. It's okay to push people away for a little bit or to not want to accept that this could be real. Because when you go through trauma, it gets really scary when things are good because you're always waiting for it to break. It was difficult for you to trust your husband or to trust the person that you were dating. How long did it take for you to really trust him that he wasn't going to hurt you? Well, he was very, very patient with me, especially that first year. I tried to push him away so much. I mean, I told him to break up with me. I told him I was going to break up with him. But he recognized at that point that I had went through a lot and that if he really wanted me, that he was going to have to be patient. And he was. And I, I think it still took a couple of years, but we had already got married and had a baby and, um, you know, seeing all of those differences in, in the men that I was raised with in my life, um, which we could go backwards a bit and put it out there. My, my biological father was a convicted child rapist who went to prison. So the men in my entire lifetime were really not good people. And to accept there are good men out there or men that care about families and care about, you know, doing the right thing, that was very difficult. And that was something that going to church, when you're told constantly that Christians are bad people, trying to allow all of these different, you know, you've got the the patriarchy, which by the way, feminist, I love the patriarchy. You can hate me if you want. Um, <laughs> but you're raised with all these that men are bad. So when you go to church, there are men that are leaders. And it, it was so hard for me to even allow that trust there to be able to talk to a church leader and have hard conversations about what I was going through or to trust a male counselor or a male doctor. Those were all things like I had to work through in addition to not just the husband, because accepting any kind of male authoritative figure close was scary. The theme of this show is the gift of life. And we've already delved into your choice not to have an abortion and to bring your daughter into this world. And this gift of life continues to play out as you try to expand your family. Will you share a little bit of that with us? Absolutely. With my next child, I wasn't planning to get pregnant. 
I actually had been told many times by doctors I probably couldn't be pregnant between scar tissue from being raped and my own personal health issues. I was born anemic and I'm always anemic. So that was a factor. Uh, There's a thyroid factor that I had. There were just a lot of things that they said, you know, you really probably aren't going to be able to have kids. But I was also back then, I believed in birth control and I had an IUD in place. So I thought, I'm totally fine. You know, I've got these health issues. I have an IUD in place. I don't have to worry about pregnancy. And of course I got pregnant. That was the joke earlier when I was speaking with you off air was if there's a 1%, that's going to end up being me. And (laughs) so I was working. I was really, I, I get a little bit of overachiever status when I'm working. So I was working 12 hours Monday through Friday and five hours on Saturday. And I I really liked my job (laughs) and I'm pregnant doing this. And what happened was, as I started getting really, really sick all the time and I didn't know it, but I had hyperemesis gravidarum and I was getting very depleted and I was losing weight while working. And so I went in because my IUD had come out And I went in the next day to say, you know, this came out, I need to get this. And they said, well, actually you're pregnant, so you can't get it. And I was six weeks pregnant and my body had pushed the IUD out, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes, you know, I've seen photos where the IUD will embed into the baby somewhere or it'll kill the baby, you know, many weeks after they're conceived. So there's a lot that can go wrong when you have a birth control and you get pregnant, you you, can still be pregnant for many, many weeks or even months and not know it and be hurting the child. So I was very, very lucky that my body simply pushed it out and that, you know, then there's the hyperemesis. So I ended up not continuing to work because it was very hard to get sick at your desk every few minutes. (laughs) And I started having uh, issues with sepsis and I used to be a paramedic. So I do have a basic background in medical knowledge and I knew that I was having signs of sepsis. So I went in, they assumed immediately, if you have a miscarriage and the baby doesn't pass, your body can go septic, which is basically a really severe infection that can kill you untreated without antibiotics. I'm just explaining that for the audience. Because if I use too much medical terminology, I don't want to confuse anybody. So I was septic. I had the high white blood count. And they said, oh, the baby must have died and isn't passing. And so you need to get a DNC, which is where they remove an already dead baby. Uh, And that is not to be confused with an abortion. So I'm getting ready for this procedure. And again, this was a God moment. I said, wait can I see an ultrasound? Because they were about to sedate me. I hadn't looked at an ultrasound myself at that point. And this was at about 14 or 15 weeks along gestationally. So I'm sitting here, I get the ultrasound and the baby is not dead, which leads to the question, okay, if the baby's not dead, why am I septic? So then they did some tests and said, okay, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Ultimately, they weren't able to find the reason why the baby was causing me to go septic. So I asked the question, what if it's not the baby? And they said, sometimes your body just knows 
and is rejecting the pregnancy. And so you should still have an abortion. And to me, that didn't make sense for, from my experience and what I've learned and researched, it wasn't adding up. And I refused the abortion. I got my antibiotics. I got my fluids. I had progesterone to prevent, you know, any kind of preterm labor issues. Um, we did medical treatment. And then two weeks later, I went septic again. And the sepsis kept coming back every few weeks. So I kept getting rounds of antibiotics, rounds of fluids. And antibiotics, as you know, it's very harsh on your body, especially via IV. And eventually, I got really pregnant and I was having severe abdominal pain. And I ended up switching doctors because I wasn't satisfied with the medical care that I was receiving. And that's something I'd like to note for the audience out there. Medical services, that is a paid service that you're paying for. If you're not happy with your doctor, if your doctor's telling you to do something that you don't feel safe with, switch doctors because you're paying for that service. It's just like going to the store and picking out a shirt. You can pick your doctor. I switched doctors and she found out almost immediately that I had gallstones and it was causing acute pancreatitis, which I think, Tina, you can identify with. Yes, my sister went through an extreme time of pancreatitis and it was caused by her gallbladder where she had hundreds of stones and the doctor accidentally pricked her pancreas and that did it. And it makes you deathly ill. In fact, the mortality rate is very high, higher than you would think it is. It's a very painful thing to go through. You can't eat, you can't drink for weeks. So I definitely empathize with you. It's horrendous. It, it really was not fun. I always made the joke that I'd rather have 10 natural births than ever have gallstones again. <laughs> so when men get gall and kidney stones, I'm like, trust me, you can identify with childbirth because I'd rather have a baby all day long than have those stones ever again. How many children do you have and were there complications with the other children? Yes. So I have had five. Uh, my son Jefferson passed away July 22nd this year. Oh, he was sorry. six weeks. Our son Gideon had a rare fatal anomaly in the womb. He's actually, I was told, the first surviving patient by Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, but he's totally healthy now. And then I have my youngest, my youngest surviving child, Hazelyn, and she is absolutely just strong. She's a giant. She's four years old and wears eight-year-old clothes because she's so tall, and she's starting to exceed her brother Gideon, who is two years older than her. But I've had five children, and the first three doctors told me to abort. The fourth one was I had switched to natural medicine, more homeopathic style, you know, eating really clean, uh, researching how diet can affect pregnancy. And so with my daughter, Ellie, it was a perfectly normal pregnancy, no nausea, no puking, all the energy in the world. It was great. Um, I had natural focused doctors with me then. And with Jefferson, it was very similar. My youngest, uh, he was a perfect pregnancy. You can ask Jonathan. I was driving all over the state of Texas talking about the constitution. I had so much energy. It was kind of strange. And he was the one that they said everything was normal, fine. All the tests were fine. And so 
I've had five and the ones that I was told to abort are completely healthy and strong and intelligent and social and very kind and amazing. And my fourth child, she's very strong and independent and kind of a little sassy pants like her mother. So that's the thing, like medical professionals can't tell you what's going to happen with you. They can't tell you if something's going to go wrong or right. That's out of their control. What they have is textbooks that give them probabilities. And those probabilities are not certainties. And we shouldn't be killing people because of a probability. When did you really get involved in the pro-life movement? With my son Gideon. He was the one that was given a fatal diagnosis. And uh, he's seven years old. So during the pregnancy with him, I was asked to share my story by live action news. And I was really hesitant because at that point I was involved with my community, my local leaders, my church, but I'd never done anything in a national public way like that. And I knew that the abortion topic was very sensitive and I knew that it was going to bring a lot of hate to me. But I prayed about it and prayed about it. And I think that's the cheesy thing about people of faith is they tell you to pray about it. You're like, come on now, can I get a better answer? But I did. And I felt like if one other child like Gideon was saved from abortion and got to light his family's life like he's lit mine and give those beautiful experiences that he's given me, then it's worth whatever hate and criticism I get talking about this subject. And it really took off quickly from that. He became a little national spokesbaby for a nutrition shake that's plant-based and organic that helped him get stronger and retain his nutrients. And he got to be, you know, several case studies for the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota because I took him there. I drove from Oregon to Minnesota in a camper with a bunch of kids because there were no hotels left in Rochester. You know, it was all wonderful testimony building for me. I learned so much, even like so much more medically. A lot of times now I have doctor friends that will send their patients to me for any kind of rare medical diagnosis to get advice because I've learned so much about that side of things. Every single child has made me better. Even Jefferson, even the one who passed away, he was a perfect angel and he was so sweet And having that joy in my life, even though it was only for six weeks, I can never get those experiences back. And when a woman chooses abortion, she's denying herself seeing their baby's face. She's denying seeing and smelling her child. So whether it's medically or not, that's what always kept me from choosing abortion is I could never live with what if. What if this is the one that lives? What if this is the one that changes my life for the better? So abortion in America and around the world is such a hotly contested issue, Heather. For me, it's something that's very hard to understand. As much as I try and and wrap my head around listening to all the arguments, I believe, and this is a controversial take in 2022, that all life has merits. I also base it on my Christianity that, you know, Jesus and the gospel says he knew you in the womb. Um, 
I base it on the 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 logic and the reason that when you have life, I look at some of the things that people have done where they've come from incredible obstacles, where they've overcome just a horrible start in life and they've just achieved so much, especially in America, where, you know, even though in 2022, where the American dream isn't quite what it was and what we believe it should be, um, but that's a different topic, that you still have great opportunities in life and that you, you know, you should fight for those opportunities. And that seems like, so, you know, it kind of seems like a self-evident truth to me. What did, do you, why do you feel the abortion issue has become so contested and so you know if you share what i just shared that you're considered evil you're considered a white supremacist you're considered vile ironically i've been called a nazi for this which is which is when you read a history book it's like have you read what nazi germany was actually doing um, they actually, actually developed modern day uh abortion pills mm -hmm. they were developed by the nazis yeah but like when this is the stupid the world the frustrating part of the world we live in and where me and you have the common where we really have a distrust of people it's like i i'm advocating for life not killing people and i'm the nazi who apparently if you read it don't read a history book was the guy killing people in gas chambers was saying that there's an aryan race which is i am better than you and if you're not part of my tribe i have a right to kill you and me saying well, everyone has life and has a right to life and everyone has, should have that opportunity and be given those rights. I'm the Nazi. Well, that's the history that nobody wants to talk about, right? Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, spoke for the Ku Klux Klan and was praised by Hitler because her whole objective in starting Planned Parenthood and the movement of abortion was to eradicate the black population and was to eradicate those that she deemed less worthy than her herself. And that's where a lot of people don't want to talk about the history and the roots of abortion. Is if you talk about Margaret Sanger, her and Hitler, he wrote letters to her talking about about how he thought the work she did was great. When we talk about the, the Christian side, we can also talk about the Constitution and how it says the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Life is first. Our founding fathers didn't think in their heads that they were going to have to add in that we don't kill our children. The children back then, that was your posterity. That was your future, that you had your children and your family lived on. Now we've had this mass marketing and culture of death and what they do with these babies now. We can look at, you know, the stuff out of California that they've been doing in Oregon where we have full-term abortion. It, it, it's a really horrific procedure what they do when they abort a full-term infant. And these things are legalized in part because of a, a planned mass marketing. They have scheduled for decades tons and tons of money to change the culture of life, to get into our schools, to get into the media. I don't let my kids watch regular TV because abortion is thrown out, alcohol is thrown out, cigarettes are thrown out. Like it's it's fine for you to be a 14-year-old having all this sex and doing all these things. This has been an intentional destruction of Americanism. And it's, again, I brought up the One World Order before, and I'm, I'm not going to dive too much into that, but destroying America is the last thing that they need to do. And they do that by corrupting our children, our families, and killing off our future generations. And we could go to the secular side of things too. When we talk about medically and scientifically, there is no medical reason truly for a woman to have an actual abortion. People lump up a DNC 
abortion and a baby passing while a woman's getting medical care, they lump that into one argument so that legislatively they can sneak things in, that they can pass these bills and that these bills will allow for exceptions or allow for a full-term abortion, whatever that state is doing. But the problem is there is over 150,000 pro-life OBGYNs who have signed documents saying there is no medical reason for an abortion because if a woman is in true jeopardy and having an emergency situation, you deliver the baby. The baby may not be viable enough to live. The baby may not survive whatever her medical needs are. But that is not the doctor going and killing the baby. And that is where we need to distinguish things because we have our legislators that get tricked by these lobbyists thinking, oh, there's these poor woman, women and you're going to kill them or you're, you're torturing them and forcing them to go through trauma. When we talk about the rape exception, an abortion is a trauma on the body. You still endure postpartum hormones for six to eight weeks. You still can get breast milk. You can still endure all the things because your body knows there's a baby, whether you want to call it that or not, whether you want to call it a fetus or whatever dehumanizing term, your body says, I was pregnant. Now I am not. My hormones are all over the place. Scientifically, that's still a trauma for your body. If a woman is raped and has PTSD, how are you going to put another trauma on her instead of giving her therapy and counseling and resources and arresting the rapist instead of punishing the baby. So that's my little rant right there when we talk about whether it's the secular or the Christian side. Absolutely. And what's really sad to me is, and very frustrating for, for me that in the society today is we've become so ignorant. I always engage with people and I've engaged with some of the most horrific people online privately about different issues, trying to talk to them. And what I've found is the people who are the most strong-willed, and I'll use, I'm, I'm being nice here, right? Strong-willed for the abortion argument have no earthly idea of how abortion is actually performed. You would think if you were like, so, no, it's a woman's right, and how dare you take it away? You think if you're that passionate, you would know the fine details. Because I've asked these people, I'll always say, so just curious, tell me how an abortion is perceived, uh, per, you know, done. Well, it's just, you know, the baby got, the baby dies. I'm like, no, give me more details. Like, give me step by step. You know, talk to me about the clamps. Talk to me about the long scissor thing with the jaws at the end of it that clamp onto a leg and what happens next. And they genuinely have no, I'm like, they're like, what, what, what clampy thing? What thing that looks like jaws? I'm like, no, I'm not giving it the right terms, but you know, I'd, I'd research it, you know, if I'm talking to someone about it, I give that use the right instrument names, but it's, it's horrific and how they just go in and start rooting around. Like first, you know, when you get towards the end of the abortion, how just think of this, and I'm very uncomfortable saying this to two ladies, but this is what happens. They go in with an instrument after they've taken out the, they put, sorry, first off, they have a, 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 a silver platter which they basically have to put out the body of the aborted parts. As they pull out a leg, they put it in the leg position. They take out another leg and they have to do because they can't leave anything in you. And then they go around with this jaw-like perception and they're just rooting around inside you to make sure they didn't leave anything. Like, that's barbaric. Well, Jonathan, do you know how do you know how they perform a late-term abortion? West Coast, New Mexico, New York? They induce regular labor like they would with if you were to have your baby and, and choose life for your baby. They induce you 
to start the contractions. They give you the Pitocin and then they flip the baby breech. And what that does is they start to pull the baby out bottom first, legs first. So, I mean, I personally know a woman who had a 34 week abortion because her husband left her and she panicked in the state of Oregon. And that was horrific because a 34 week baby, none of my babies, I don't think have got to 34 weeks. They've all been around 30 to 34 weeks. So to imagine one of my babies that came out just fine being pulled out that way through the vaginal cavity, and then they then snip their spinal cord at the base of their neck and then pull their head through. And that makes it a late-term abortion. There, That's no longer a delivery. But if that baby would have been flipped head down, that would have been a delivery. And that baby could have been adopted out. They're doing that on the West Coast. And they do it in New Mexico and New York as well. But I personally have encountered real-life situations in Oregon and California where women have had these procedures. And oftentimes it's pressure from family or a doctor telling them that medically something is going on, but they're doing it. And those baby body parts are much high value dollar in the scientific, I'm putting air quotes here, scientific community to be sold on the market than a younger, a younger infant in the womb. And that's happening right here in America. What a, another big problem that people need to recognize is because they may think, well, unborn babies aren't my problem. But again, in the state of Oregon, where I lived for 11 years, the language that is used in abortion has now been used for, for medical suicide. So they are now killing adults, which puts our elderly at risk who feel like they're a burden on their family. It puts our, our homeless veterans, it puts, you know, so many people at risk, people who feel they're a burden medically, people with mental health issues, you can go to the state of Oregon and tell a doctor, I want to die. And initially, the language was very similar to how they got abortion in, just for people with fatal things, just for like cancer patients who are going to die anyways. And then it was changed. And how did they change it? They wanted to change it to any people that were having severe mental health issues. If you went to the ER and said, I'm going to kill myself anyways, well, that's grounds. And people like to believe that doctors wouldn't do that. But look at Gosnell. You know the story of Gosnell. He was a doctor. He had tons of dead babies in his house. We look at Klopfer up in Indiana. They found tons of dead babies in his house that were late-term aborted babies that were illegally aborted and women that were killed by them in these procedures. And people think, well, doctors have our best interests at heart. There's always going to be a gosnel for adults, and they're going to keep using that same language that they use to legalize abortion to kill everybody else. There's something I'd like you just to do, because you're an expert in this subject. You kind of glossed over a couple of words when you were talking about the late-term abortion, and I always scream when I hear this, because it's, it's just so wrong. And I'm sorry to, I try not to, I try and give, you know, I try and make the case and not ever judge people, but you said at the late-term abortion where they, they, they breach, they induce, and then they this is what you glossed over. They snip the baby's spinal column. Yes, at, at the, the base of their neck before the head is out, because if the head comes out, they are then born. However, yeah. California just changed their legislation, or maybe it's been presented. I just saw it in the news recently where they are pushing or have passed post-birth abortions. 
where up to, I believe it's 28 days, I'm not exactly sure on the date, don't quote me on that, uh, you can still choose to have a post-birth abortion. Right now, it's for severe medical issues. That is what's being pushed. We're in a culture of death. This is not, you know, if you talk to people who really support abortion, they never want to believe that these things are happening. They want to believe in the cases that have been painted to them the women out there who are who have no money, who have no house, who are in a bad situation. But my argument has always been, if you have this criteria as to why these babies should live, then you would want to kill off most of the rest of the world. Because if we look at underdeveloped countries like Africa or South America, would we go there and say, you need to kill all your children because you don't have an adequate home per what I believe. You don't have enough money per what I believe. And I'm saying you're better off dead. That's the argument that they're giving. You are better off dead. You are not worthy of this world based on my standards of this world. And that's the culture of death that we are inciting. And that is why we have so many problems today. It all stems from the way that we treat other people and look at other people. If we can't value our most innocent, our most vulnerable, whether that be the elderly or the unborn or our children, if we can't protect them as a society, we will fall and we are falling. There are so many things to bring up, Heather. Uh, You mentioned Margaret Sanger and her desire, her dream is coming to fruition because you could probably back me up on this, but I believe statistically speaking, African-American babies in the womb are the highest, have the highest percentage of people murdered. More black babies every year are aborted than born. And I, at one time, um, because Jonathan knows sometimes I'd like to cause controversy on TikTok. <laughs> That's my thing. But <laughs> um, actually speaking to a African-American woman about this and saying, this should infuriate you. But it doesn't. I don't understand. Like she was calling me a white supremacist because of that. I don't understand how that is okay with people and also the statistics that you see when women give the reasons for the abortion and people automatically assume that it's incest, it's rape. Incest and rape is a very small part. One one percent. Yes. And the biggest part is, I'm sure you know this as well, no reason. No reason don't have a job, don't want a baby right now, but we're passing laws in our nation. And right now in the state of Texas, where I reside, we have Democrats that have already presented a bill trying to undo the the abortion laws that we have in Texas. So people always think of those cases because they want to play on your emotions. And by they, I'm talking about the media and, and those who have an ulterior motive for our society and who support this culture of death. And what they do is they play on your emotions. Nobody wants to imagine a 14 year old girl being raped by her father. And then as they say, being forced to give birth, they will use that. They've learned how to use terminology that pulls at your heartstrings, that makes you think this is a necessary evil, but evil is still evil. 
period. They, they come up with the saddest, saddest case when most of the women that are having the abortions do not even fall into that category. Even if we don't go into that realm, the other issue is we need to really think about the fact that because of the internet, we are so blessed. I I hate the internet. I don't want my kids on there. But we have the most high number in history of pro-life young people right now in America. And it's because they can look up what an abortion really is online. They have science. Science is on the side of life now. For a long time, science said that it was necessary. But as we know, science is ever evolving and changing, and we've proved the humanity of the unborn. There's a lot of great studies out there, and I could go on about this for days, but babies feel pain as early as eight weeks in the womb. That fact alone has deterred young people. It shows their brain activity. It shows their heartbeat at six weeks. It shows now, I believe at 14 to 16 weeks, I'd have to get the study, it came out of Australia, but that babies at that gestation, when they have the brain activity, you can sing to them and they will remember that song after birth from that early, if you didn't sing it in between. They are being humanized because of science but before they were dehumanized. And so I am really grateful for the internet and for the scientific developments we have made because young people, we can now show them this is what an actual aborted baby looks like. There are people all over the country that take pictures and they show what an actual aborted baby looks like. They didn't do that to, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for women many years ago because they didn't show them ultrasounds. They didn't have, you know, a doctor that was showing them the pieces of what's coming out. But I will tell you what, every one of those abortionists, I hold them accountable. They saw what they were ripping out of there and they are still doing it today. It's it's something that we have to end because it's hurting our society in all aspects. Well, I have a few things I wanted to add to that. First of all, why is it a war against women to say that you don't want these babies aborted. That's the first thing. And you alluded to, or not alluded, you you stated, and I believe it's true, that if more people understood how abortion works, how cruel it is, that we would see that plummet. Because people don't understand. They think it's painless for the baby, which I don't understand. And then also my last point was what has happened to us that it has become so widespread, such a hot topic, and that you are considered, again, as I was saying about if you speak up, you're against women, that people think that you are the evil person if you speak up for life. What has happened to us? Well, here's the thing I will say, Tina, I'm out in the field constantly. And by the field, I mean, constantly traveling the country, talking about this subject, talking about the Constitution and our Republic, going to the border and dealing with the human trafficking crisis. I encounter a lot of people. And I will tell you that this we're not even the silent majority anymore. But the other voices, they are being louder 
And that's the problem. We are seeing this big abortion topic. That's because they are grasping onto strings right now. They are really worried about losing that moneymaker. It makes them trillions of dollars to be able to kill these babies every year. They're not going to just let that go. And I mean, by by they, again, the people who profit from it. But we have made so much progress fighting abortion in the last few years. And I believe it's because of like Project Veritas. And we've got The Blaze. And we've got, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. The guy that was out of California who exposed, he went undercover for years, exposing how they're harvesting these babies' body parts and selling them. People are seeing it, and we have all these different options now. We don't have just Facebook and YouTube. We have Rumble. We have, you know, Clout Hub. We've got all these different alternatives where people can now find the truth, and before it was being censored and blocked from us. So I will tell you, we're hearing the louder voices because that's the mainstream media, but what's actually on the ground is the most pro-life America I've ever seen, ever. And adding to that really quick, Heather, to me, it is such a fallacy, my body, my choice. Can you explain that? I cannot make head or tell of that because it is not their body that's growing inside them, but it's my body, my choice. How is that wrong? It's just a marketing catchphrase. There's two separate bodies. There's two patients in a pregnancy. If the baby was wanted, you would say me and my baby. We have two patients. We're helping mom and baby. But if the baby's unwanted, suddenly that baby is a parasite or a fetus or whatever little fake labels they want to make up and put on onto that baby. And it's all about dehumanizing the child right? We, we've had this women's rights movement and the original early feminist fought for life. They What the original feminists wanted was the ability to work, to be able to help their family, to own property. Those were the early feminists. And they also wanted to protect the children. That movement was warped by marketing. And again, if we go back historically, we can talk about the one world order and this big agenda to destroy America. The big issue is, is that it's been a mass marketing and brainwashing of our women. And it is the biggest lie in history to me. And there is nothing to me more anti-woman than saying, you're not smart enough to figure it out. You're not good enough. We're not going to help you. You're not you're not healthy enough. You you literally are being bombarded with all the reasons why you shouldn't have a baby. What could be more anti-woman than saying that your body shouldn't be doing what it does naturally and that you should just kill your child because you're not good enough? It's a genocide. There's no other word to describe it. It is a genocide. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Heather, where can people find more information about you and where can they find you on social media? I've got a Heather Hobbs Facebook. I've got the Twitter. I've got heatherhobbs.org. But I, I'll be quite honest. I, I'm i not as active on social media as I should be because I'm trying to actually be out there with the women and help them get resources, help stop them from making the biggest mistake of their life. And as you know, I'm, I do a lot fighting human trafficking as well. 
I was blessed to be able to just save two girls from cartel members recently. Um, and, and again, what drove me there is the cartels have abortionists on staff at our southern borders to keep them prostitute in prostitution. So if anybody truly needs me, I would recommend the Facebook page. But just know I'm not super active posting because I'm I'm doing what I believe God wants me to do to help. Where do you suggest people go to learn the truth about abortion? I have a lot of resources. <laughs> now, Save the One is an organization I am directly affiliated with. They specifically go into the 1% of the cases. There's medical reasons why, legal reasons why, and counter arguments. I also love an organization based out of Florida, which is also a lawyer. Uh, it's called Secular Pro- Pro-Life. And their entire pro-life argument is completely scientific. So that is what I use for people who are not Christian or who want to focus on the the medical side of things. There's also my friend Destiny's organization, New Wave Feminist, and that gives an entire perspective of uh, a feminist argument for fighting for life. There's Democrats for life. There's Libertarians for life. All of those groups, they post purely scientific reasons as to why abortion is wrong. And I find that to be one of the best ways to work with someone who is more resistant to a Christ-like perspective. But if you're working with a Christian, you can really just refer to the scriptures. And before we end with you, what is the message that you want to give to America as far as the gift of life, especially in this special time of year? The gift of life is precious. And all I want more than anything for Christmas is to raise my children in a country where we do not discriminate based upon race, gender, way of conception, or simply age. Because these are human beings. They're young human beings. Your age does not define whether you are a human being or not. Heather, thank you so much for joining us, sharing your powerful story. And thank you so much for all the work you do on the ground. You're a personal friend of mine. You're one of my best friends. And I know what work you do. And I know for I know for a fact America is a better place for you been in it and for you sharing your story. America. This is the last show of the year, and I got to finish up by reading two statements for you because you have an opportunity. It's great for Heather to be out there. She makes massive difference. She serves a lot of people. But we need to be the ones that win this argument. And I want to read two things to you. Firstly, George Washington's farewell address. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life? If the sense of moral and religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in the courts of justice. He's calling us out if you're religious. We need to be the people who stand up for life because without life, every other right is irrelevant. And I'm going to do something as the second thing that I've never done on this show before, and that is, quote, the Constitution of the United States. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for a common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States of America. 
our liberty and our rights are not just for us. It's for our prosperity. Your founders were crystal clear on this. They did not think they had to put in a right to say a child has a right to life. They called that a self-evident truth. They said that in the Declaration of Independence, where they said all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unanimable rights, and among those, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life came first for a reason. America, we are about to enter some horrifically dark, dark times. These are going to be the times that try our souls. I believe in America. I believe in the idea of America. I will fight tirelessly for those principles, for those ideals. But if we don't act, if we don't use this holiday opportunity to have uncomfortable conversations with our family and our friends, if we don't use this opportunity to stake the case, the chips are down, America. What side are you on? Because we can talk about tax policy all day long. Look, if you want to reduce taxes of any description, I'm your ally. I don't even need to know the details. If you're reducing taxes, I'm there with you. If you want to limit government, I'm there with you. If you want to reduce the Constitution to Article 1, Section 8, and want to reduce the enumerated powers, I'm with you. You don't have an opponent in me. But these are all irrelevant if we can't get the basics right, that life is sacred. And people want to talk today about dying on a hill. What sort are you willing to die on a hill? I had someone tell me a couple of weeks ago that abortion is not something I'm willing to die on a hill for. Really? Then what is? If you're not going to stand up for the people who have no voice and you're not going to speak for the voiceless, abortion is one of the issues I will fight on a hill for. I will die on a hill and I will die with the biggest smile on my face because there is nothing more worthy by standing for Jesus Christ than abortion and standing against it. America, I hope these past four weeks have given you something to reflect upon. We've taken a step back from all the news and the horrible things. We'll be back to that in 2023 and we've got some exciting specials coming for you. But I wanted to give you some hope. Life is powerful. Miss Tina, who have you got on your show this week? I'm not doing a show this week because Merry you Christmas. You slacker. <laughs> you slacker. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy New Year. But please, during this time, I think it would be most appropriate to read that story of that sweet baby who was born over 2000 years ago and how he changed the world. That's what I would like our listeners to do is to spend some time and really think about that night so long ago and what it meant for the world. And finally, we salute our U S military firefighters, police officers, and emergency personnel. And lastly, America, I salute you, the American people. Never forget the sentiments of Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. If we are over, going to overcome this war, it's going to take average Americans and ordinary Americans to do extraordinary things. Your history is not one of laying down. Your history is not one of giving up. Your history is one of overcoming the obstacles. I salute you. Never forget you're great because of your people, not because of Trump or Biden or DeSantis or Republicans or Democrats. You're great because of your people. On behalf of Miss Heather, Miss Tina, and myself, may we wish you a very happy 
and peaceful Christmas. And we'll see you in 2023. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.